Welcome to another episode of Inside RE, Rosenberg and Estes' podcast. My name is Zachary Rothkin. I'm a partner at Rosenberg and Estes, and I head the firm's administrative law department. My practice focuses on complex rent regulatory matters and everything having to do with rent stabilization, regulatory issues, and housing legislation. I'm very excited with this episode. Joining me on this episode is Ann Korchak. Ann is the president of the Small Property Owners of New York, otherwise known as SPONY. Founded in 1984, SPONY is a nonprofit volunteer organization of small housing providers. Many of its members are multi-generational family-owned businesses with owners' families living alongside tenants in their properties. For nearly 40 years, SPONY has worked and advocated for sound, sustainable, and equitable housing policies. Through advocacy, education, and organizing, SPONY helps owners maintain quality housing in New York's challenging business environment. As president of SPONY, Anne speaks to lawmakers, the media, and anyone who will listen, like me, about the challenges small housing providers face operating their small businesses in New York City and across New York State. Anne, welcome to the Inside RE podcast. Thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate the opportunity to you know, speak to you and all your listeners about small property owners in, in New York. Okay. And we're glad to have you, Anne. So let's get started. Anne, tell us a little bit about your ba- your background. What was your career career path to becoming the president of Spony? Um, well, for the past twenty years, I've been helping run two small uh, family properties uh, that my husband's family owns. His you know, immigrant grandparents, you know, achieved the American dream. Uh, worked hard, purchased a ten-unit building on the Upper West Side in the nineteen forties, um, and then about twenty years later, purchased a second building on the same block. Um, so, you know, it's, it's truly a family, multi-generational business, just like you spoke of. Um, you know, a typical Spony. Um, member. Um, So I had, you know, earlier in my career, I did have a real estate background. I spent some time working for the Woolworth Corporation in retail leasing. Uh, After that, I worked for a large engineering firm, uh, Parsons Brinkerhoff, in their corporate real estate group. Uh, Then I spent a number of years home full time raising my children and then began, you know, helping my mother-in-law with the properties. So um, I jokingly say I married into this mess. But, you know, I was a, a member of RSA. I mean, the family has been a member of RSA for decades, probably since RSA was founded. Um, so I was, you know, somebody that did attend those meetings monthly. Um, and then during COVID, I connected with uh, Spony because they were looking for, you know, small property owners to start speaking with lawmakers. Um, and, you know, I, I wound up on one Zoom call and then another and another. And the next thing you know, I was on the board and now I'm board president. Uh, you know, you, you never know, you know, you get married, you never know what it'll, what it'll lead to. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, what, tell us a little bit about Spony. I guess my first question is, what is considered a small property? Um, I would say that we really tend to talk more about the kind of the structure of the business as opposed to a unit count. I mean, we have members that maybe just have a two-family business, a two-family home, somebody like the Korchaks who have two 10-unit buildings. So it's really tends to be, um, you know, people that are very involved in the management of their properties, um, you know, as opposed to just being an investment vehicle. Um, we are uh, oftentimes multi-generational, right? So, um, you know, my husband grew up in the building, um, you know, for a part, part of his life, um, moved to the Bronx, you know, now 
my mother-in-law has grandchildren that live in the building. So, um, you know, there's that kind of family connection to the property. You know your neighbors, you know, who are also the tenants. Um, so uh, that's, so rather than a number, we, you know, like to look at it like that. But I would say the bulk of our owners are small building owners or small, you know, one to four family um, properties. Yeah, and and and, it, and it's interesting what you're saying because usually the narrative that's driven in the media and in a lot of the advocacy from the current political landscape now um, is that you know the multi generational um, families really are just with tenants, right? Oh, I've my family's been living in this rent stabilized apartment succession, which is a problem we could discuss another time. Right. Uh, but you know, we've been in this building for years. My grandmother lived in this building, but and and you know, they often paint the owners as, like you said, just an investment driven, um, you know, corporate machines. But mm -hmm. certainly not the case. There are many, many owners who have these family businesses and often live in these buildings themselves just like all your members of, of Spony right there. And it's important right. that they have a voice as well because, you know, policy can't just be driven by, by a false narrative. Right. Um, we have tenants in our building that knew, you know, my children's great-grandfather. They never knew him, right? But there are tenants that live there, you know, that were signed wow. their first lease, you know, with Michael Stegan, who's, you know, long deceased, and his great-grandchildren now live in the building. And so. Wow, wow. Um, and can you, what, what would you say some of the main challenges property owners face in New York and how does Spony support them in navigating these issues and challenges? Um, well, I would say that our, our biggest challenges, you know, are, you know, coming from Albany and out of City Hall, you know, legislation and regulation that um, just make it incredibly difficult for a small operator to kind of navigate the complexities of, you know, some of this legislation or regulations. Um, most recently in New York City, it's, uh, you know, the announcement of new scaffolding laws, right? It, you know, very heavy fines for scaffolding that stays up, you know, beyond a, a uh, maybe it was a 90 day period, I think is what I read. Um, we had scaffolding up several years ago for 10 months, you know, a 16 week project dragged out to 10 months, you know, all completely beyond my control. <laughs> so, right. um, you know, something like that and the heavy fines that the mayor is proposing, um, you know, could, could bury a small property owner. Um, so, you know, the lead regulations, you know, they're constantly, um, you know, changing, moving the goalpost, right? For years, many good operators, you know, took the steps to remediate lead in their apartments to the testing level that was um, appropriate or mandated at the time. And now the number has been reduced and you kind of looked at having to do the, that same work over again. Um, so, um, you know, that that's difficult um, legislation coming out of Albany, you know, obviously good cause eviction has, has been on uh, the advocates um, radar for many years. Um, so that's, um, you know, a, a worry for us. Uh, more recently, at the end of the session, those two Regina bills, I know I've seen your firm write about it extensively. Um, and, um, you know, and again, I mean, we're talking about setting up circumstance where a family like mine right now we're, we're on the third generation or fourth generation people have moved paperwork maybe maybe we don't have every single invoice every single piece of paper that one might need to to prove a claim because we're 
assumed to have, be guilty of something, the way that bill has been written. Like, they're assuming that there was fraud involved. And, Correct. Um, you know, navigating that will be near impossible for someone like the Korczak family because the expense and finding, you know, um, somebody to help us navigate that at a, at a price we could afford would be really difficult. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's very troublesome because, you know, the existing regulations are enough to crush small property owners, but they, they just seem to be getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I know that Spony is, you know, very involved with, you know, addressing a lot of this legislation and problematic uh, proposed legislation. What has Spony done specifically to address hot topic issues like good cause eviction, rent stabilization, over-regulation, um, and what they call the housing crisis. Right. Um, I, we've, we've spent a lot of time the last three years meeting with lawmakers, you know, either face-to-face -face or via Zoom, to and, they, and their staff to let them hear directly from a property owner, you know, what these proposed bills would mean to the operating of our properties and, and our small businesses. Um, I, I think that number, when I last looked, was probably close to 300. Um, so we've met with varying degrees of, um, you know, uh, openness to listen to us. Um, but I, I would say I, I'm always surprised at the willingness, you know, of, of offices to take calls and to listen to us. Um, like I said, I mean, sometimes they're not always open to what we're saying, but the willingness to, to make take those appointments, um, you know, is um, kind of helps us go on because you know at some point, you know, that, that our our message is being heard. Um, so we take that, you know, very seriously. Um, you know, we take any opportunity, like the one you've offered me here today, you know, to speak, um, you know, on this podcast, uh, the media. Um, and there's a little bit of fatigue, too. I mean, sometimes it's hard to, like, sit down and speak to somebody who, you you know, in the end, you think that the piece, you know, is not very balanced. But we have to take every opportunity to make sure that our voice is part of the discussion. Um, and, um, you know, that's what we try to do. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, something like good cause eviction, you know, it will certainly affect, no question about it, large property owners, but small property owners, if something like good cause eviction, you know, does get passed and enacted, I mean, it's, that, that's, that's spe spelling some really bad news, you know, potentially. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. We're like the canary in the coal mine, right? I mean, it's bad for all owners. It, you know, will feel the impact first and most severely. Right. Um, you know, on the topic of good cause eviction, just a few months ago, it was reported in some of the media that um, left-leaning tenant advocates, probably avowed socialists who simply don't believe in the concept of property rights, they wrote a letter to Governor Hochul. And in that letter, they claimed to have collected signatures of, I believe, over 100 landlords, they claimed, uh, right. in support of good cause eviction. And when I first saw this, I said, come on, <laughs> you know. This is too impossible to even joke about, right. right? Let alone for them to say this in writing with a straight face to the governor of New York State, right? Um, right away, you were very vocal in your skepticism of that so-called landlord list, and you spoke out for the truth. Can you tell us about that very bizarre episode? Yes, yes. Um, right. I mean, you, you knew right away, right? This is bogus. This is a this is a bogus list. And interestingly, one of our board members, um, you know, who just has 
tremendous capacity to remember like names and different things he's read. It's, it, when he saw that list, he recognized people who he'd maybe either seen it um, on Twitter or someplace else, um, you know, that, that were members, DSA members, right? <laughs> and, you know, we started to dig a little bit and then, um, you know, we were part of that statewide uh, owner coalition and, you know, a team there started to dig a little further too. And it, it turned out that quite a few of the names on that list were not property owners. They were not housing providers. They um, just signed the letter probably out of convenience, right? Including names of people that were running kind of nonprofit housing groups, right? They, somebody signed, you know, as president of such an entity, really without the authorization of his or her board to to take that position. Um, so, you know, the whole thing was bogus. I mean, obviously, they, it was a follow-up, not in the Daily News, who originally printed it, uh, but I believe the Post, you know, did a follow-up piece on, um, you know, some of the names that were on there, including the father of, you know, the leading tenant activist in the state. Wow. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the stuff you see now that has unfortunately just become normal, um, you know, is, it's frightening. Yeah. Um, do you, do you anticipate, and I know, the, you know, we were speaking about the Regina bills, those were passed by the state Senate and the state assembly, right at the end and a little extension of the, the last legislative session. Um, as I last checked before we got on this podcast, they were not yet sent to the governor, right. the state Senate for signature. Um, although, you know, we'll have to see what will happen. And of course, good cause eviction will continue to be part of the conversation that these tenant advocates uh, will continue to push. So what, what is Spony doing to, number one, continue to fight against these things? And number two, prepare its members um, in case these terrible proposed bills actually do become law? Um, well, I mean, we just kind of like the little engine that could, right? We just keep plugging along. Like Friday, we have a meeting um, with some staff in the governor's office. And that's actually the first time we've ever been able to get an appointment, you know, oh. with someone on her staff. So, um, you know, I, I feel maybe our efforts are being recognized if, you know, we didn't get blown off by, a, you know, by her office. Um, you know, they, hopefully there's someone there that feels that there's value in, in listening to our voices. Um, so we just, you know, continue to reach out, um, you know, work with our partners too, you know, RSA, CHIP, Rebney, you know, Apartments of New York, which is an upstate owner group, uh, BRI, the Westchester owner group, um, and um, just try to have a, you know, a unified voice and, and so that lawmakers, you know, understand the, you know, the implications of, of some of this more crazy and legislation. Yeah, and, and you know, Spony is in, uh, you know, in a way, Spony is kind of at an at an advantage, at least, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the how things look, because you know, you're not these big corporate, so to speak, machines. Right. Um, you are small property owners, and if you could get in the room with the governor and say, "Look, we're regular people who are just trying to make a living over here," um, you know, at, at least it, it's the the optics are, you know, could be somewhat of an advantage, um, I, I would expect. Right. I mean, because our voices are obviously authentic, right? It's not a lobbyist, you know, coming in and speaking on behalf of us. Um, 
you know, or a, you know, a, a public relations person. I mean, we are kind of unpolished, raw, real um, operators. And, um, you know, when we share with someone, you know, how something may really impact, you know, our business, um, it is, um, you know, I think it's a message that, you know, a lot of lawmakers are open to listening to. Yeah, and of course, you know, all property owners are people. There are no corporate machines, of course. Um, you know, everyone's made out of made up of people and just, you know, trying to make an honest living. Um, you know, I, I would just expect that the, the rhetoric that the tenant advocates are trying to, to you know, push um, shouldn't necessarily be inconsistent with protecting small property owners, uh, you know, like Spony, at least in their terms of thinking and their worldview. Right. Um, um, you know, I, there's such a disconnect, too. I think, you know, it's just so easy to, you know, beat up on the landlords. And, you know, you often hear really kind of nasty comments, you know, get a real job and, and you know, those sorts of things. Um, but the reality is, you know, property taxes fuel the economy in New York State, right? I mean, the, a huge percentage of New York City's operating budget is coming from the collection of property taxes, you know, and, and that, that, New York has this kind of insatiable appetite, right? Uh, the most recent number, I think, was t over $24 billion. Um, and that means there's a huge portion of my renters, monthly rent is just going right back to the city. It's a hidden tax. It's, and I'm sure Spony, you know, a lot of your lobbying efforts are given that you represent small property owners and property taxes are such a big expense and, and a major factor in, in, in those assets that you, you're probably very busy with that. Um, you know, you, you've been speaking about getting the message out and, you know, I've certainly seen your name around and, um, you know, being vocal about a lot of things. What are some of the efforts that Spony does to get that message out? Social media? Um, yeah, we, we have a, you know, large group of, you know, Spony members that are active on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of other small owners that are on Twitter too that are not Spony members necessarily. I mean, whenever I see a new voice out there, I'll often send a DM and say, "Hey, <laughs> who are you?" And you know, do you know Spony? And and you know, sometimes um, they'll say, "Oh, you know, I just prefer to, you know, not identify myself, and I'm just going to, you know, keep doing what I'm doing here on Twitter." Um, but we do, um, you know, we communicate weekly um, via a newsletter with all of our members and, and share with them um, kind of opportunities for them to be better operators. Like yesterday, we shared a, a link to a program that the New York City Accelerator was running um, about uh, a solar incentives, um, you know, reminders on things like, you know, rent registrations and building registrations and, you know, the lead laws and, you know, all, all notices and all sorts of things like that. Um, so we, you know, try to engage our members that way just to, you know, help educate them to be the best operators they can be so that we can be good spokespeople too, right? I mean, we are, you know, we, we definitely want to be the ones that are the, 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 the providers that are following the rules and, you know, offering good, clean, quality housing. And I know we spoke before about uh, Spony's involvement um, in, in the HSDPA lawsuit. I believe Spony correct me if I'm wrong, submitted an amicus brief in support of the petition for certiorari before the Supreme Court. And one of the Spony members, I believe an individual member, was a named plaintiff in one of the cases. Can you tell us a little bit about 
that about Spony's involvement with the HSTPA lawsuit and your thoughts about that? Uh, well, you know, every Spony member is, especially those that own rent stabilized housing, you know, are watching this case closely. Uh, you know, those of us who never really knew the workings of the federal court system and the steps to get to the Supreme Court have learned a lot in the last couple of years, um, you know, including, you know, listening in to those verbal, um, you know, arguments. Uh, so it's really been fascinating to watch, um, you know, and follow, um, you know, updates. I know like your law firm will send updates, you know, kind of along the way. So um, we're all watching it closely um, and believe that, it, you know, if it's if it's heard, um, you know, could greatly impact, you know, what's happening, you know, in housing here in New York. Um, you know, in support of the case, um, we did submit an amicus brief, uh, which was, um, you know, brief and not very um, filled with a lot of legal arguments, just more real life impact of the rent stabilization law on small housing providers, uh, including examples about, you know, how uh, these low rents are not covering operating exp expenses and, um, you know, the impact that has on a building, uh, you know, the inability of someone to, um, you know, get possession back of a unit for their family use um, and, and things like that. So it was, like I said, very personal experiences um, as opposed to, uh, you know, legal arguments. Do you have any personal stories that you'd be able to share with us? Um, I, yeah, sure. Um, you know, so my husband's family has owned the buildings, like I said, the first one since 1941, which, you know, predated, you know, rent control and rent stabilization. Um, we have um, several tenants that have been with us, um, you know, over 50 years, um, you know, with rents that are just, you know, don't even cover our operating expenses. So our tax bill this year um, for each building is in excess of $90,000. Um, so, you know, you can do the math easily, 10 units, I need to be collecting, you know, $9,200 in annual rent at least just to cover the expenses. We have rents that don't do that. So the neighboring apartments, you know, are kind of covering that operating shortfall. Um, we have tenants that um, own homes outside of New York City. Fabulous places like, you know, the Hamptons and Cape Cod and Florida. <laughs> so, you know, the idea that you know, rent-stabilized housing is affordable housing, you know, is a farce, right? That's not what's really happening. Um, you know, we have, um, I just spent a year's worth of rent in housing court trying to get permission to get into an apartment to make some repairs, right? The system's broken, right? That I would have to spend, you know, $15,000 in legal fees to get access to fix property that we own and want to maintain properly yeah, is and insane. That, and that, that point that you just made seems to have been long forgotten and almost completely disregarded now by the current politicians. And that's, it's a property that you own. Okay, the tenants are there renting it from you, but it is your property and nobody right. can take that away from you. And that that's, you know, they, they can't disregard that. It's it's your constitutional right to have certain property rights and it's your property. Right. Um, and what steps do you believe should be taken? You know, there's a lot of talk about a housing crisis and, you know, certainly from what I'm hearing from you today, it's an unsustainable housing market, uh, you know, housing situation from a small property owner's perspective. What steps do you believe that the politicians should take, you know, 
on the one hand, considering that their constituency does involve a lot of tenants because there are more tenants than landlords in their right. own New York. So, you know, being realistic, what, what kind of policies could they push to make a more sustainable housing market that'll make everybody happy? Well, clearly, you know, we need to have rental assistance, right? New York City is an is a expensive place to live, right? We just have limited housing um, and the we need more housing. That's obviously a big part of it. But rental assistance to people that can't afford their rent, um, you know, with the rent stabilized housing providers, you know, that burden is being put on the, the, the building owner as opposed to it being, you know, a shared taxpayer burden. Um, so, I mean, that's one more example of the broken rent stabilization system. Um, but, you know, robust rental assistance with vouchers that are reliable, you know, for the renter and for the housing provider, um, right? You hear these stories all the time about, you know, a voucher um, holder who's, but no fault of his or her own, the, the, it just, something falls through the cracks and that, and that voucher income stops inexplicably. Um, you know, putting a tremendous amount of stress, right, on the, 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 the tenant, right, the renter who now, you know, is in a very difficult situation, the owner who's continuing to provide the housing and not getting paid. Um, and those sorts of uh, problems are just kind of baked into New York City, right? I mean, that's been happening for decades. And uh, I get reached calls and emails all the time. Like I have an appointment next week with somebody who runs a nonprofit who really wants to kind of fix the system, you know, and wants to talk to owners about how they could do that. So, you know, whenever anybody reaches out, you know, we always take that opportunity to speak to them and, and so that they can hear from our side, what are the problems with these programs? Right. And, and what are some of your goals this year? Um, how are you working with stakeholders, other industry groups within the New York State real estate property owner community um, to accomplish some of those goals? Right. Um, I, I guess good cause eviction is, you know, for our members, always at the top of the list. Um, yeah. You know, the idea of bringing universal rent control, you know, to every unit of housing, um, you know, in the state is... Um, you know, something our members don't want. Not all of our members are providing housing in New York City. You know, we have plenty of members that are, you know, Westchester and Long Island and, and other parts of the state. So um, they are really um, not interested in having universal rent control, <laughs> you know, in Nassau County, Suffolk County, and some of those, you know, other places around the state. So that's on the top of our list. Um, but, um, you know, and more locally, it would be, you know, trying to you know, speak some sense to, you know, Mayor Adams and his, his administration about the scaffolding law, right, and and expanding lead laws and, you know, any other kind of regulation they come up with. Um, you know, Intro 632, which was the, you know, potential ban on criminal background checks. Um, you know, that is um, a problem, you know, and, and it's not just, you know, it's not just the housing providers that are worried about that. I mean, you see the crime and safety groups, too, you know, around the state that are not thrilled about potentially, you know, um, having a, you know, a neighbor that, you know, might put them in danger. So, yeah, and, it, and it's, it's another example of how the tenant leaning, um, you know, led legislatures, legislators policies, um, which are really punitive in nature towards landlords, ultimately end up affecting tenants just as right. well. 
Right. You know, this is one example with, with the scaffolding law, um, with the criminal background checks. Um, but, you know, rent regulation itself, you, you see since the HSTPA, you know, I, I can't repeat this enough. When you take away the ability for an owner to get his, his or her investment back from making renovations to an apartment, owners will stop investing in the apartment and it'll just cause the, the real estate to, to just decay. It's not, it's not, it's a business. Okay, it's it, it's a property that you own and you will invest in if you will get your investment back. If you won't get your investment back, this is not a charity. It's a business at the end of the day. Right. Um, and looking ahead, what are your hopes for the future of housing in New York? I guess in the short term and in the long term. Right. I guess in the long term, um, it would be a, a, a decision from SCOTUS, right? That would, you know. <laughs> Right. Short term, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we'll know, right? September, October, yeah. they're going to take the case, right? Um, but, you know, a market that allows all different providers to operate successfully, right? Which would allow, you know, tenants to, you know, be have ample options of, you know, places to live, right? That, you know, some people, you know, seek out small buildings with small owners. You know, they want to know who they're. Um, owner is you know other people you know prefer you know the big high-rise building with all the bells and whistles and you know a staff in the lobby that um you know they can go in and yell and scream at right <laughs> if they're not happy so i mean people want different types of housing um so i mean a, i guess our, our goal would be that you know that, that there is a space for small operators multi-generational family-run businesses like Spony members to continue to do what we've been doing for decades. Uh, you know, a, a, a market where future immigrant groups can do what my husband's grandparents did, right? Work hard, save, and you know, achieve the American dream, you know, through property ownership. Um, I see that very, you know, that's becoming less and less viable in today's market. Um. Anne, thank you so much for joining us. How can listeners get in touch with you? Uh, with Spo oh, you can find Spony um, at spony.org. Um, if you are a small property owner and you want to learn a little bit more, you know, want to speak to one of us, you can email us at info at spony.org, S-P-O-N-Y.org. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, The Real Spony. Um, and um, just, I would say, you know, there's a tremendous kind of resource for small owners. You know, it's a, it's a great kind of brotherhood. Um, we, you know, lean on each other, you know, share um, resources, you know, hey, I need a good roofer, I need a good accountant, I need a good lawyer, you know, we share that kind of information with each other. And we try to uh, provide resources on our website, you know, have webinars and in-person meetings to kind of bring um, best practices, you know, to our members. Like I said, we want, you know, we want our members to be the best providers they can be um, so that we are, you know, a good example. Um, to other owners. Okay. Well, and thank you very much. And, you know, we, we thank you for your continued advocacy and hard work in fighting these terrible policies and pushing for good policies uh, to protect property rights um, in New York. And, you know, as, they, as they've been at risk, um, you know, uh, in, in recent years. So thank you again, Anne, for joining. It was an incredibly okay. important episode. And, Thank you uh, for having me. I appreciate it very much. And um, I look forward to speaking to you again soon.